Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, we have uh, Kevin Miller uh, from Energy Auditors, LLC. Kevin, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. So tell me a little bit about your background. So my uh, career path was anything but traditional. Um, I, in high school, I did reasonably well academically, but uh, for various reasons, had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, But the expectation was that I would uh, move into college or go, you know, go to go to college. And so I did that again, with, with no real plan, um, I ended up switching majors three times. I went from music education to business to civil engineering um, with very little you know, overlap uh, in terms of the, the <laughs> right. type of study. <laughs> so after, after about, I guess, five years of college and not being particularly close to a civil engineering degree, um, I decided I should probably take a break. Uh, I I had a professor, I I wish I knew his name, but I had a professor of civil engineering at Calvin College in in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I I went to him and I asked him if he thought I was cut out for civil engineering. And he said to me, he said, Kevin, I have no doubt about your ability, but I don't think your heart's in it. And it it was really helpful to me to kind of feel like, okay, maybe I need to move on and just start working and see how things go. Um, I did then take an internship with a civil engineering company and I worked for them for three years then. I thought it might kind of reignite my interest in finishing uh, the civil engineering degree, but it had the opposite effect. I hated it. Uh, <laughs> one of one of my one of my best friends is a civil engineer, and she does stormwater management all day. And I can't imagine. <laughs> so I, I yeah, totally I, understand. Uh, <laughs> it was way too much sitting in an office for me. Um, so I, I eventually, uh, you know, left that again after three years. It was a good experience. I learned a lot, you know, how to work with CAD programs, um, how to read plans. And so, you know, as I went through these various jobs that I had, every single one of them, I can kind of point to ways that they helped prepare me for what I do today. Right. 
but uh, it, you know, sometimes you can only see that looking back. Uh, you don't see it at the time. Uh, however, I eventually got into remodeling and uh, restoration. Um, I did remodeling for about 10 years. I owned a company with my brother. And uh, then, then for a time, I owned it by myself. Um, that also led to some burnout because I realized eventually that I don't like project management. Right. Uh, <laughs> which is, if you're going to own a remodeling company, it's important. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you can uh, understand the need for that. Yes. <laughs> um, but working so so. For several of those years, my primary responsibility was estimating and sales. And um, it, it helped me to learn the industry, but it also, I started to realize that while I worked for the restoration company, I, you know, we did estimates for buildings that were destroyed by fires, uh, right. wind, water, mold damage. I started to realize I really could did not care what color you wanted on your bathroom wall right. <laughs> uh, but i i did find myself being curious why some bathroom walls were getting mold and why there were you know different different problems uh, right. that, that we would see you would see in some houses and not in others so i it it sort of sparked an interest in what we call building science and i started you know, finding different resources. Um, there's a great website called buildingscience.com uh, that has lots of very technical information. Uh, I went to various conferences that, you know, would have training and, and I always seemed to gravitate towards the training that was related to uh, building science. And so that kind of started to lay the foundation for what I do now. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, we're, I think we're almost to 90 um, podcasts and it's amazing to me how many people kind of take a, a, a kind of windy path to get to, get to where they are now. It's, I think that the idea that most people, you know, go at 18, know exactly what they want to do and do it is, is kind of a myth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, um, so tell me, uh, what what brought you into the the energy auditing side side of things? So that it's an interesting question because I originally, uh, while I worked for the restoration company, uh, and they trained me uh, on the protocols and standards uh, for testing mold and and for um, kind of looking at diagnosing problems with with moisture and mold. Um, writing uh, scopes in terms of how to how to remediate mold. Uh, so they, I, I got experience in in that area while working for a restoration company. And so I I thought, well, let me backtrack. During this time, during the spring and fall, I started getting a cough that just would not go away. It would last for a couple of months or, or longer. Right. Um, and it, it seemed to be seasonal and it seemed to come back every year. And eventually we discovered that we had mold in our basement uh, behind some things where we didn't 
see it or didn't know about it. And the mold was triggering a, a respiratory distress or, you know, a, a cough that would last a long time. Uh, the irony, of course, was that I was a trained mold remediation specialist. <laughs> but if you don't know you have it, you right. yeah. don't know what to do. So once we discovered the mold and remediated the mold, that those health issues cleared up for me. Uh, so that kind of gave me a, um, a passion to, to look into uh, dealing with mold problems and how to help people with, with, uh, with those, those household or, or building problems. Um, but I, I kind of thought I was going to start a business just dealing with mold, but eventually concluded that maybe that was a little bit too narrow of a focus for just right. trying to have a startup. Um, so then there was a little bit of a funny story. You, you asked the question was, why did I get into energy auditing? While I was working for uh, rest, the restoration company, I tried to call the owner of a business called Energy Smart Home Improvement. Um, I was going to get a quote from him for some insulation on a project. I accidentally dialed the former owner of energy auditors. Oh, <laughs> so while I was on the while I was on the phone with him, he said to me, he's like, his name was Stan. He says, I think we met one time. Didn't we meet at some, he named some pizza shop in Mechanicsburg. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think we did meet because we got to chatting. Uh, I chat with anyone that I run into and uh, we got to chatting and, and uh, so he thought we should get together for coffee since we had met before. So I said, <laughs> all right, let's get together for coffee. Um, during that, that uh meeting uh he indicated that he was kind of looking to retire and get out uh and wondered you know was looking for someone actively to buy his business right and uh so i realized that the the principles involved with doing an energy audit the building science is comprised of the same principles that you know, you use for diagnosing moisture and mold problems. It's all the physics of how houses work. Right. And so yeah. I realized it could be a good platform for starting a company that would eventually be able to, you know, work with energy efficiency, comfort, moisture problems, mold, you know, kind of the whole gamut of, of uh, building science related. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I agree. I agree with you. I think that that's, that really, they're very interconnected, but I, and I think that a, one of the issues that I see with more modern building is that people aren't trained to look at like the whole house as a system. So they just like look at their own little section and figure, you know, if it's leaking, it must be the roof or, you know, like they don't, they don't look at like the whole house. <laughs> I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've encountered that also. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, with with a house, for instance, one of the reasons we now seal up the door between the garage and the house isn't directly related to energy. Uh, it's because oftentimes there's nasty things in a garage, whether someone has a car, they open the garage door and they start the uh, 
right. the car, you know, to warm it up in the winter. Uh, or you just have cans of gas out there or weed killer or whatever. There can be some, some chemicals and toxins in a garage. And houses tend to be depressurized. Uh, the way we remember it is that houses suck. Um, <laughs> so, so they tend to be depressurized. The reason for this is when you turn on a bathroom vent or you uh, turn on a dryer or you know any of these things that exhaust to the exterior, that's, that's pushing air out of the envelope. Well, nature abhors a vacuum, so that has to be replaced. And so the house is going to draw air in. Right. If you, if you allow air to be drawn in from a garage or from other places that have unhealthy things, uh, toxins and, and uh, chemicals in them, well, now you're breathing that in your house. And so that's, right. that's undesirable. So, so um, tell me about the services that Energy Auditors LLC offers. So, my vision when I started this was to grow to be a, a company that um, helps people solve problems with buildings. Uh, basically, just the, the science of how the houses work, to, to repeat myself a little bit. Um, so along those lines, we do energy audits, which is uh, we, we come in and we test the house and inspect the house thoroughly for anything that affects your, the, your energy performance of the home. Um, we do a blower door test, uh, which involves depressurizing the house to a certain pressure. And that allows us to measure how leaky your house is. Um, we do, uh, with the energy audit, we'll do some thermal imaging, um, which allows us to see you know, maybe air leaking into the house or other problems that wouldn't be obvious to the naked eye. Um, and, and with the energy audit, we give a, a full report with recommendations of, of improvements and uh, also photos and, you know, labeled photos that help you to uh, make sense of the report. I always tell people if they have questions after receiving the, the report, just give me a call and we can talk through it. Right. Um, Because some of the, you know, some of the concepts, we try to put them in simple language, but some of the concepts might not be, uh, people might not be as familiar with them. But in in addition to the energy audits, uh, um, we do mold and moisture investigations or inspections. Um, Some of that is, so mold, mold is first and foremost a moisture problem. Right. Uh, mold spores are present everywhere on earth. Um, if you took a cubic meter of air outside, it, it can range from 4,000 mold spores per cubic meter to, you know, during certain seasons, it might be 60,000 mold spores per, but with, so, so I guess the point being mold spores are everywhere. Right. Um, and mold feeds on biological material or organic material. Um, and we build our houses out of wood and organic materials, you know, drywall right. with paper facing and so on. So the only thing then that, that you need, you have the mold spores, you have the food, 
Um, and I joke that we make our houses out of mold food uh, <laughs> <laughs> these days. Uh, all you need is is moisture then to to start to activate to, uh, it, right? Activate it, yeah. Um, so controlling moisture and and also identifying the moisture problem that has resulted in a a mold issue is key. Uh, we always say if you don't resolve the underlying moisture problem, the mold will grow back. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that really is, is key of, you know, key to figuring out uh, why you're getting mold. Um, we also do mold testing. Some people, uh, if they're not sure visually, if, if they have mold, um, we can come out and do what's called spore trap testing, where we draw air through a, a little uh, cassette, it's called. And we send that to a lab and then they're able to identify, you know, how much mold you have, but also the species. Um, there, there are certain molds that are considered, um, that, that are correlated with water damaged buildings or, or moisture problems in buildings, um, penicillium, cladosporium, there's different ones. And so when you see those, on an indoor mold sample, but did not have that in the, we, we always take an outdoor sample to see what molds are just present locally at the time. Right. When you see a bunch of penicillium or aspergillus or, or one of these indoor or commonly uh, indoor molds, and you're not seeing that on the outdoor sample, that's a good indication that this mold is originating in that building. Um, we also do, uh, some of this is more for new construction, but can, can have uh, um, crossover with, with existing homes. We do duct leakage testing for HVAC systems. Right. Um, we can work with, with uh, HVAC sizing. Uh, HVAC systems are often very much oversized, right. particularly particularly in new construction, um, the codes have changed the efficiency of new construction so much. And yet the, the HVAC professionals have been a little hesitant to change too quickly. <laughs> and I, I, I get it. Yeah. You know, they, they say, well, we've done it this way for years and it works. So why change? Right. Um, now, I, I had a question about the duct leakage testing. Would you recommend that if somebody was having their um, furnace replaced or their um, their heat source replaced? Um, it it depends. If, okay. if they're having significant uh, comfort issues and they think that duct leakage could be to blame, certainly we can we can come in and and test. Um, Depending on the construction of the house, sometimes you're limited in how much of that leakage you can eliminate. Oh, that uh, makes so, sense. Yeah. So for instance, in an unfinished basement, you likely can seal things up pretty well. Uh, if, if it's an older house and they're using wall cavities for ducts, which was commonly done, right? Um, yeah. those areas you're you're unlikely to be able to do yeah a you lot. can't access them yeah that's how um, our house our house was built in the 20s and we have forced air and yeah it's it's just in the walls so yeah that that makes sense that you couldn't really 
without tearing everything apart, really seal those up. <laughs> well, there, there is a technology called AeroSeal where it's, they aerosolize a silicone product, I believe. It, it, I, have a, I have a relatively rough knowledge of how it works, but they, mm-hmm. they um, aerosolize a, a coagulant in essence. And so as that, that silicone is exiting holes, uh, it coagulates and starts to fill them. That would be a question for, you know, a company that that works with the aeroseal right. in terms yeah. of what the expectations would be. If you could like in, do a lining. Yeah, in an older yeah. house. Yeah, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, the other the other two things we do a lot of is hers ratings for new homes. Um, a hers rating kind of it, it gives a score for the overall efficiency of a home. And you can think of it as kind of a miles per gallon for a home. <laughs> um, the, the rating starts at zero. So a, a hers rating of zero would mean that the home produces as much energy as it, as it uh, consumes. Uh, and from there it can go, you know, I, most existing homes are probably in the 130 range. Uh, many new homes that we're seeing built today are getting scores of, you know, between 50 and 65, some a little lower. Um, But, you know, so the trend has definitely been towards improvement in the the efficiency of new homes. And then uh, finally, we also do Energy Star certification for new homes. Um, That's not something that's easy to do unless your builder is already certified for doing energy star homes. But uh, are there um, are there like tax um, benefits for that? Is that why people pursue that? There can be. Okay. Um, there, there's a federal tax credit of two thousand uh, dollars if you hit certain targets. However. I haven't, I haven't dealt with that yet. I, I believe that tax credit is for builders to encourage the builders, the builders to, to do better. Yeah. Do better, which, yeah. you know, the homeowners are always disappointed, but the, <laughs> the incentive structure makes sense because if a builder builds a hundred homes a year and right. you can get them to build more efficiency, that's going to have more impact overall than one homeowner who's really concerned about it. Yeah, that's very, very true. So, and that kind of leads me into my next question. Are there rebates available for energy audits? So there are uh, both PPNL and MetEd, the, the two electric companies that are most common in central PA, Pennsylvania. Um, they both have good energy audit rebate programs. They're structured a little differently. Uh, and it's difficult to say exactly what the rebates will be moving forward. In the past, um, PPNL had a rebate of, it varied from 125 to $250 uh, that, that reduced the homeowner's cost uh, of a of an audit, um, our audits 
it's hard to say exactly what they cost. We, we typically shoot for uh, $450 on an audit. However, uh, the homeowner almost never pays anywhere close to that. Um, and the reason I say it's difficult to say exactly what we, what we charge is because, for instance, MetEd has um, incentives that they, you know, if we install certain energy efficient items like light bulbs and so on, they reimburse us for those. Oh, yeah. So, so we get some of our, our uh, payment through the reimbursement as opposed to from the homeowner. Typically, I would say a homeowner is going to pay between 100 and 200 uh, out of pocket for an energy audit from energy auditors. Uh, however, it's, it's usually closer to the 100 or 150. That's um, very reasonable. Out of pocket. We're, we're typically on site. You know, if we have two people, we might be on site for two and a half to three hours. And then, you know, we have the report to follow up. Uh, so th there's quite a bit that goes into it. Uh, so, right. but I agree. I think it's a, a good yeah. investment. Yeah, we do. Um, um, we do maintenance audits, which kind of just look at like overall, like what you need to do to maintain a house. And that's about like, I'm on site usually, you know, two or three hours and then you know, I have to go back and write the report. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. And, and I mentioned that it's a little difficult to say what the rebates will be uh, moving forward. Pennsylvania had an act 129 that was passed, I believe in 2008. And it was uh, designed to help consumers, but particularly the electric utilities in Pennsylvania. Um, it was to help them or, coerce them <laughs> to re <laughs> reduce energy consumption, uh, you know, and, and peak electric demand. And so that's governed by the public, the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission. Um, June 1st of 2021 is actually the beginning of phase four of the Act 129 uh, incentives. And Currently, the, the electric companies have proposed their new audit programs or their phase four audit programs to the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission, and we still have not heard what the status is uh, in terms of whether they've been approved. It's, it's, expected, yeah. it's expected they'll be approved, and I had a conversation with one of the program managers um, and he indicated that that the the audit rebates might actually improve or be more oh um, that's great after june 1st at least for one of those two companies which i'll keep anonymous for now because it's not public knowledge but right um so it it, it likely will improve for at least uh, uh one of those companies the other one, I don't have any insider knowledge there, but, uh, you know, they, I expect them to continue to be very good uh, rebate programs moving forward. Yeah, very, very good. Um, so um, talk to me a little bit about the importance of hiring an independent energy auditor. I know a lot of 
companies will say that they offer free audits, but that um, you know ne isn't necessarily a good thing for the consumer. Sure. Um, so I, I, I'm, our model at Energy Auditors is that of uh, testing and consulting. Uh, we we don't do we don't sell anything, and we don't do the actual improvements. Uh, we we do offer you know some suggestions or referrals to homeowners if we recommend that you get more insulation. We have some companies that we can recommend that we know to be good ethical companies to deal with, right. uh, HVAC companies, those sorts of things. But um, by, by not selling anything, we can then offer unbiased suggestions to a homeowner. Um, I, I often tell people they can likely find a cheaper energy audit or one that is supposedly free, uh, but there are always strings attached. So if a window company is offering free audits, uh, surprise, surprise, they're going to find out that you need new windows um, <laughs> uh, and so on. So uh, the, the, yeah, there's also some HVAC companies, uh, some weatherization companies. Those are, those are companies that do insulating and air sealing. Um, but yeah, it, it, they're always going to recommend their product because they're using that audit as a paid lead, essentially. Right. It's, it's, they get a little money from the utility company. And so it's a, a paid lead to try to, you know, push their product. Right. Um, yeah. So. No, I, I, I definitely, um, I, you're not the first uh, energy auditor that I heard to say that. And what, the first time I heard it, I thought that's really smart because it is true. You know, if somebody's just offering their, their product as a solution, then how, you know, it's probably not unbiased. Um, yeah, that's not to say that they are giving bad information every time, right? I, yeah, that's not not what I'm trying to say. It just um, it's it's just a different business model. Yeah. No, but I think if you're really concerned about the energy efficiency of your house, you want to have somebody that's going to tell you all of the things that you could do rather than just. You, you know, this, our, our solution will find this, you know, like sure. we, yeah. we, we will find, we will find the solution to the, to the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, tell me a little bit about the uh, mistakes that people make when they're trying to increase uh, energy efficiency in an existing home. Um, so number one would be spending money on the wrong things. Uh, people frequently replace all or some of the windows or doors in their homes, um, replace an HVAC system, thinking, you know, that they'll replace the windows in their home. And some, sometimes they, they uh, are given wild promises in terms of what to expect. Oh my goodness. Yes. With, with <laughs> you know, you're going to, you're going to lower your energy bill by 30% if you replace your windows. The only person that will tell you that is a window salesman. Right. Um, you, or they'll say that this will pay for itself or whatever. The, the reality is if you take out an older, say an older double or, or double pane, uh, that's two panes of glasses or glass <laughs> um, 
bifocals. Uh, two panes of glass. You take out an older wooden frame, say Anderson window, it might have an R value of one, right? R value right. being the level of insulation. To put that into context, current codes require most walls to be insulated to about R21. Right. So you have a, a window that's about R1. Um, if you put in a new window or a bunch of new windows, they typically have an R value, an insulation value of somewhere around three. Right. So you've, you're not gaining that much. You've increased yeah. a tiny bit, mm -hmm. but not, not an amount that it's still essentially a hole in your wall. Right. Right. <laughs> so, um, and, and yeah. typically uh, when you look at how much it's going to improve your, your performance, it's, it's, not not terribly significant right yeah and it takes it takes um years and years to get to the the cost um the cost the say energy savings versus the cost of a replacement window um, so, so for instance you might spend 15 20 30 or more thousand dollars on replacing your windows um i mean how much is your electric bill two three hundred dollars right. Yeah. The, mo the, the study I saw that looked at, you know, your return on investment for windows, uh, your average window has a return on investment of 50 to 300 years down the yeah, road. That, that's what so, I've seen also. Yeah. So the window will be needing replaced again long before it's going to pay for itself through energy savings. Right. They're now, just there, hoping... There are, I was just going to say, they're just hoping you don't live there long enough and the next person has to replace them. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Um, <laughs> there, there are reasons to replace windows and doors. Maybe they don't function well. They're hard to clean. They're ugly. Right. They, you know, they get condensation, which bothers you or, you know, um, so, so there can be reasons, but typically you're never going to have an energy auditor recommend replacement of windows unless you have really old single pane wood windows yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah. And there are um, engineering studies um, that in the preservation community um, that the, I know the University of Colorado has done some and so has the University of Vermont where a single, like a, an original window um, with a good storm window and weather strip, you know, performs as well as, as an, as a new window. So, you know, there are like, I mean, yeah, if you, if you just yeah. have a single pane with no weather strip and no, no storm window that I'm sure that that's pretty miserable. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so other, other mistakes, uh, remodeling first and worrying about home performance later, Oh yeah. Uh, th that gets it backwards because much of the Many of the improvements you can make on an existing home, you have an opportunity, especially if you're doing a major remodel or, or restoration, you have an opportunity to get access to things like ductwork, um, right. insulation, air sealing details that you don't have when the house is all buttoned up. So yeah. uh, that would be a, a common mistake. Yeah. Um, number three, I would say, is just blowing insulation in without air sealing a house. Um, insulation and air sealing are two major uh, 
concerns when trying to improve energy efficiency. Uh, and they, they deal with different things. So you have heat moves through, or heat moves in three different ways. You have conduction, convection, and radiant heat transfer. Conduction is like a pan sitting on a stove. It's a hot thing touching a cold thing. And the, the heat, the energy always goes from low to high, or, or sorry, high to low, right. that backwards. Um, so uh, convection is heat that's being moved either through water or through air. And so with insulation, insulation deals with uh, conduction. That's, um, you know, the warm thing touching the cold thing. This is why insulation has to be touching the surface it's trying to insulate. You have to have, you know, the insulation touching the drywall or the insulation, um, you know, a, a common one we see where this is funny or, or done poorly is an attic access hatch in new construction. They have just a piece of drywall that you push out of the way to get into your attic. <laughs> and they, they typically lay a uh, piece of insulation across the framing. So that insulation is usually about 10 to 12 inches away from that piece of drywall. And I, right. I joke that I joke that's like being near a sweater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does nothing. Um, and, and insulation details do matter. Uh, right. When you do heat loss calculations, if you have a, a ceiling insulated to R38 and 1% of that ceiling is R1, so just a piece of drywall. Right. If 1% is R1 and the rest is R38, that whole system will only perform as though it's R27. So you lose, I don't know what that is, 25 to 30% right. uh, of your efficiency just by having 1% that's poorly detailed. Um, so, so insulation deals with conduction air sealing is dealing with convection. So in a house, you get what's called the stack effect. And the stack effect, if you think of a chimney, you heat air and it rises. Same thing happens in a house. As you heat air uh, or heat condition the space, that air is gonna rise and it's just gonna try and find anywhere it can to escape, escape the house because it, it builds up pressure up high in the house and, and so, um, you know, if you have uh, an attic hatch that's not well sealed, if you have light fixtures that aren't sealed where they penetrate the ceiling, um, air can go through the, the light switch boxes and, and follow the wires where they drilled through the right. framing and get into the attic that way. So air sealing is dealing with that convection. Uh, so you, you really need to do both. One example I've heard is if you're outside on a, uh, say you're say you're at a, a lake and you're standing out on a dock, and it's kind of raw and cold and windy, do you want a fluffy sweater? <laughs> That's your insulation, or do you want, <laughs> or do you want a windbreak or a windbreaker? Right. Um, if you had to pick one, just the windbreaker, just the air sealing would do more, right? right? But Ideally, you have a windbreaker over top a sweater, and that works best together. So, oh, yes, so yeah. 
uh, having both. And then lastly, in terms of mistakes, tightening a house without controlling for moisture. Yeah. Um, I see that a lot. <clears throat> yeah, when, when you tighten up a house, you're limiting its ability to dry out naturally. And so even though a tight house is more comfortable, it's less drafty, it's more efficient, it also is more prone to moisture problems or more, um, yeah, more, more susceptible. Right. So you might have to run a dehumidifier in, in a uh, basement or, you know, have a whole house dehumidifier or something like that. Um, bring in fresh air ventilation, but the improvements in com comfort and efficiency that come with a tight house far outweigh the, the penalties of maybe having to run a dehumidifier or, right. or ventilation. Yeah. So you just have to accommodate for that or you will cause more problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah so what um what what do you see as a challenge or a trend in in home performance so obviously the trend is towards building um more efficient homes and trying to improve the efficiency of existing homes um this is good because you know in one sense because uh more efficient homes when maintained properly are also more comfort and comfortable and healthier, as I right. mentioned. Uh, one real challenge is it drives up costs. Um, I, I've often said that strict codes uh, really hurt people of limited finances the most right. because, you know, the, the, the family that's kind of struggling to get by, but, you know, maybe they have, uh, maybe they need more space and they want to add a room to their house. Well, really strict codes drive up the cost of that improvement or that, that um, addition uh, a lot. So there's, there's trade-offs there. The, the people who write the energy codes make no secret about the fact that they're trying to push for net zero new homes. So that means that the home produces as much electricity through solar, you know, that sort of thing right. as what it consumes. The concern is that's going to make houses almost unaffordable for anyone. <laughs> At least you're, you're either going to have a tiny home to achieve that, or you're not going to be able to afford it because you're, you're building thicker walls. You're building, right. you know, takes more lumber. You have uh, much more expensive windows. Solar isn't cheap. So, yeah, there, there's definitely some challenges and trade-offs there. Um, but I, you know, I think, the market tends to be good at coming up with solutions. So right. uh, ho hopefully uh, that'll continue to. Well, and develop. yeah, and hopefully as the technology gets better, the, the, that usually, you know, as, and then demand goes up, then that helps to drive the price down too. Like big screen TVs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they are so cheap now. <laughs> no, and I still don't have one. Um, <laughs> I, I think another trend will be towards an increased focus on indoor air quality. Um, certainly with COVID, you know, people spending a lot more time working from home or even those in offices and restaurants are, are thinking more about the, right. the health of the air that's being circulated. Um, and, you know, 
there are many studies, not, not just related to COVID, but many studies which show a link between moisture and mold problems in buildings and poor respiratory health for the occupants. Um, it can exacerbate, and some studies seem to indicate that it can cause the onset of asthma, pneumonia, mold can cause just general fatigue where you just seem like you have no energy. Right. Um, I mentioned my cough that would just last, you know, for months. Um, and I, it, I saw one study at a conference. It was a building performance Institute conference. Well, no, it was a remodeling conference, but the, the, uh, president at the time, I think he still is, but the president of the Building Performance Institute, I believe his name was Larry Zarker, um, he was giving a talk on how buildings affected health. And he cited one study that had been done uh, where they took kids who were hospitalized for asthma or breathing problems. Uh -huh. And then for a thousand kids, they went back and inspected their homes to see what was the environment they were living in. And I know the number he cited was in the high 90s. If my memory serves, it was around 97% of those kids lived in homes that either had obvious mold, obvious moisture damage, or you know water, water damage. Um, so for instance, maybe the basement had flooded and they dried right. it out you know, it would seem to indicate that there might be some things growing in those walls or that grew in those walls uh, that are causing ongoing issues. Um, one, one side note, uh, dead mold spores. So a lot of people, if they get mold, they're like, well, I'll just kill it with bleach or whatever. Right. Um, dead mold spores can cause just as much respiratory irritation as living mold spores, they're just not viable to reproduce. Um, so especially if you have any, any significant amount of mold, or if you know you're sensitive to it, you, you want to remove the mold right. uh, through, you know, using true HEPA vacuum or something and then treat it. And bleach is not a good thing to treat it with for a variety of reasons. Bleach uh, is pretty caustic itself in terms of it breathing it while you're cleaning. Yeah. Um, bleach theoretically kills mold, but its effectiveness is reduced in the presence of biological materials, which as we mentioned earlier is- Right, the mold needs mold to grow. Yeah. <laughs> so there's some questions about how effective it is in the real world application. Right. And then thir thirdly, bleach if it's not thoroughly thoroughly rinsed uh if you know how bleach has kind of a slimy feel yes. bleach yeah. bleach will leave a, a residue that once the bleach loses its potency the mold actually can feed on <laughs> so oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of so um yeah there are some good products out there there's concrobium is a company that makes something called mold control that people may have seen at Lowe's or Home Depot. And that, that tends to be a good product, but you only want to use that if you have like a tiny bit of mold on a, 
you know, bathroom wall or something like that. Right. You don't want to, you don't want to deal with large mold problems. Uh, the, the most homeowners shouldn't try and tackle a large mold problem or they might just exacerbate things. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's really, really good advice. Uh, is there anything else that you thought of while we were talking that you, um, wanted to, to mention, uh, before we, before we wrap up? Um, not, nothing okay. specific coming to mind. Um, very good. I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. So thank was, you. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. How can, how can our um, listeners contact you? Sure. Our uh, office phone number is 717-914-8155. Um, if you call that number, you'll typically get Mike. He's our uh, office assistant. Um, and, and he can either help with scheduling or uh, direct you to talk to myself or one of the other uh, guys. Um, email is energyauditors at hotmail.com. So that's energyauditors, A-U-D-I-T-O-R-S at hotmail.com. And our website is www.paenergyauditors.com. Um, if you go to the website, uh, you will have visited it roughly more than I have in the last three years. We've, we've, <laughs> grown, we've grown so fast by, by word of mouth and, and, uh, you know, without direct marketing efforts that, that we didn't have much time to put into it, but, uh, there's some good information on there and we are, we are currently, um, working to improve that we our our old uh our old website was energyauditors.biz which now redirects to the dot com to the dot com um, okay but uh so yeah look forward to okay. trying to help people if they've if they've got uh efficiency comfort or health problems okay well very good thank you so much all right thank you Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.